Good morning, church family. In a moment, we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. So if you can get your Bible so long. Whilst you're opening your Bibles, let me take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Lee Martin, and I have the pleasure of hosting one of the life groups in Vaughan Valley. Today is a special day, so let me also just wish all grandmothers, mothers, spiritual moms, and future moms a blessed Mother's Day. Hope you have a great day. The Bible reading is from Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited more excellent than names. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Church at Home, Christ Church Midrand. If you are new to our Church at Home, my name is Martin. I'm the rector of Christ Church Midrand. And uh, I'd love you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And uh, we're starting a new series in the book of Hebrews this morning. Now, before we before we dig in, just a couple of um, just a couple of general notices. First of all, uh, we're in my study, and uh, thanks to our media team uh, who have put together our services on Sunday, and uh, thanks to Mathieu and Proud who are actually right here with me, and uh, they are recording. They're very quiet, and uh, they're doing all the hard work. But I do want to thank our media team who work behind the scenes to make all these things possible. If you joined us on Wednesday night, we had a wonderful prayer meeting, and uh, wasn't it great to see each other on Zoom? And uh, um, it was great to great to see uh, one another after so many weeks. Some of you have grown beards. Uh, some of you are a little overweight, may I say? So after the great lockdown, we're going to have the great diet. Um, but it was great to be together and worship God together and pray together, which we did on Wednesday evening. Let me just mention church at home. Do go onto the site because uh, there are there are devotions every day uh, written by one of our one of our ministers. There's material for children and there's material for teenagers. So do make use of that um, and also make use of the website, the Gospel Coalition Africa. There's some wonderful articles there written by Africans for Africans. Uh, some of the articles deal with the pandemic that we're going through, uh, but there's very, very encouraging material, uh, sermons, podcasts, articles on the Gospel Coalition Africa. Now, let me let me just start off by saying that when, when one's going through hard times and painful times, as we are right now, um, all of us want to get get perspective. And I think the way to get perspective is to take your eyes off yourself, to take your eyes off your own circumstances and the circumstances around us. Now, don't close your eyes like some of you do when I preach. 
No, just shift your eyes. Shift your eyes away from yourself and focus on God, and especially on Christ. And, and the strange thing is that when you reflect on Christ, it's not magic, but it's real. When you reflect on Christ, who he is and what he's done for you, quite strangely, you get perspective. You find purpose. And you find joy. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Christ. Christ and his word. And we're starting a new series in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. You've, you've heard the passage read to you, but it's going to be a great help to me if you do have your Bibles open in front of you. So let me pray, and then we'll get moving. Father, we thank you so much that when we gather together, and we are together in spirit, in your name, you have promised to be with us by your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that as we meet together, as we sit under the authority of your word, we pray that we may hear your voice, and you may give us perspective you may give us purpose, you may give us hope, and you, must, you may lead us that we may love you more. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. The more you know Christ, the bigger he gets, and the more wonderful he gets. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia portrays that in a beautiful scene where Lucy sees the lion Aslan. Aslan is a picture of Christ. He's shining, he's white, he's huge in the moonlight. And in a, in a burst of emotion, Lucy rushes to him and she brings her face, she buries her face in his rich silky mane. And he... He rolls over and she falls between his, his giant paws and he touches her nose with his, with his tongue and his warm breath is all over her. And she gazes up into his beautiful, wise face. Welcome, child, he says. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, he answers. Not because you are, asks Lucy. I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. End of quote. Now that's a lovely picture. That the more you know Christ, the more you grow in the knowledge of Christ. The bigger he gets and the more wonderful he gets. And that's why I'm so excited that we are looking at the book of Hebrews. Because almost more than any other book in the New Testament... It points us to the greatness of Christ and the wonder of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. Now, what do I mean by the sufficiency of Christ? A couple of years ago, a lady who was struggling with various, various addictions, she said to me, I've had to learn that God is enough, that Jesus is enough. That's the sufficiency of Christ. I need Christ, nothing more and nothing less. So not only is Jesus better, Jesus is enough. And that's what we're going to learn here in the book of Hebrews. Three principles. We're going to look at Christ, the final revelation. Christ, the final representation. 
And then lastly, Christ, the final redemption. So I got my three R's in. Two side roads. First of all, a quick one. What we have here is a letter uh, that was that was written um, probably in uh, around about 60 to 70 AD. Um, uh, it's a letter like all the other letters written by Paul or Peter or James or John. But in this case, we actually don't know who the author is. So the, so the author of Hebrews never identifies himself. Could have been uh, Paul, could have been Apollos, could have been Barnabas. Um, but we actually don't know who the author is. And, and yet uh, this, this letter has been part of the New Testament from the very earliest days uh, of, of the New Testament. The second side road is that it was a letter written to Jews who had become Christian. So they were Christian Jews. They were Messianic Jews. And uh, what we'll discover as we go through the book of Hebrews is that, um, that they started well in the Christian faith, like many of us. They started well the first number of months, the first few years. They were committed. They were zealous. And now the problem was that some were losing their grip and some were starting to, to backslide and to, and to wander from their walk with God. In fact, have a look at chapter 3. Just turn to chapter 3. We have a hint of that. Chapter 3, verse 12. Not a hint. It's louder than a hint. It's actually one of the purposes why, why the book of Hebrews is, is written. Hebrews chapter 3. Have you got it there? Verse 12. The author writes and says, Take care, brothers, lest there be, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So notice what he's saying. He's saying you started well. It was good that you trusted in Christ and Christ alone. But uh, some of you are starting to fall away. You're starting to fall away from the living God. You're starting to drift to unbelief. Your hearts are being hardened. Now, now we may ask the question, how did that happen then and how does that happen now? Well, from the rest of the book and from church history, we know that, that in the Roman Empire, for the most part, Judaism was tolerated. But Christianity wasn't. Christianity wasn't tolerated. It was persecuted. So some of the Jewish Christians were being persecuted for their faith, much more so than we will ever, ever experience, I think. And so some of them were under such pressure and they were struggling with that opposition that they were tempted to start watering down the essentials of the faith. Now, you can almost hear the tempters whisper in their ear. Do you really have to be so categorical about Jesus? Do you really have to be so categorical that he's the only way? Do you really have to be so categorical that he's the final high priest, the final sacrifice? Do you have to be so categorical that the Bible is the word of God? Now, now many of you know, well, many, many of you will know exactly what what that's like at almost every family gathering or bry or or work function 
someone will pipe up about Christians and some article they read in the newspaper about some weirdo pastor or Christian. There are plenty of those around. And uh, then, uh, then say, you know, you guys are so intolerant. You're so judgmental. You're so fundamentalist. And so after a while, you're quite tempted. When this happens time after time after time, you're quite tempted to downplay the distinctives of Jesus, to downplay the uniqueness of Jesus. And before you know it, you are yourself starting to drift away from God. You are starting to lose confidence in the gospel. You're starting to doubt Jesus and his word. And so chapter 3, verse 12, your heart has stopped believing and you're falling away from the living God. I mean, that's a frightening thought, to fall away from the living God. So before we fall away, because Hebrews wasn't only written to, to Christian Jews in the first century, it was written to us. Before we fall away, let's have a look at Christ, the final revelation, the final representation and the final redemption. First principle, Christ the final revelation. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, let me give you some some theology, uh, because in these two verses, we are told that God has spoken to us in different ways. And uh, he touches on a number of those ways here, how God has spoken to us. He refers to the Old Testament, to the prophets. He refers to creation. He refers to his son. So let me give you, let me give you a bit of theology and background that will help you. We talk about general revelation and special revelation. So when we talk about general revelation, we are talking about the fact that God has revealed himself, God has spoken to his creatures, to his world, to everybody in a general way. So whether people have the Bible, whether they've heard about Jesus, God has nonetheless revealed himself to everybody on planet Earth. So God has spoken to us in creation. So when you see a magnificent sunset, when you see a photo of a snowflake through a microscope, when you look at the little fingerprints of a baby's hand and fingers, any rational, any reasonable person has to say there's a creator. It didn't happen by chance or fate or luck. No, there's a, there's a creator who created these things. So everyone everywhere has been exposed to God's voice. And he's done that in creation. Let me quickly show that to you, you here on the, on the whiteboard. All right, let me quickly show you here on the whiteboard uh, what I mean by general revelation. So here we have general revelation. And under general revelation, there are three ways in which God has spoken. He has spoken through creation, which I've just talked about. He has spoken through our consciences. So everybody knows some measure of right and wrong. 
different cultures, different people groups may differ here and there, but everybody knows that there's right and wrong. If there's someone who says to you they don't believe in right and wrong, if someone says to you they don't believe in absolutes, all you have to do is steal their motor car. That's all you have to do. Just steal the motor car and suddenly there's a right and wrong. God has spoken to us, all of us, in our consciences. And thirdly, God has spoken to us. He's given us a knowledge of himself. So Paul tells me, let me just grab my Bible here. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 19. Quickly have a look at that. Paul tells us here, everybody has a knowledge of God. Romans 1 verse 19 or 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. What is Paul telling us? Paul is telling us that God has revealed himself to all men through all the ages, through creation, through our consciences, and through a personal knowledge that there's a creator and a God. People may deny that, but deep down they know there's a God. And then, of course, you have special revelation, which is what we're going to look at now. So we've looked at general revelation. Let's now have a look at special revelation, which is what Hebrews 1 is talking about, that God has revealed himself through his word and through his son. So God has not only revealed himself in creation, conscience, knowledge, God has revealed himself in what we call special revelation through his word and through his son. And we're going to go back and have a look at that. All right, let's have a look now at what um, the author of Hebrews tells us about special revelation. He tells us here in verse 1 that God has spoken to us long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's referring here obviously to the Old Testament, to the time before the coming of Christ, where God spoke to spoke to our fathers through the prophets in many different ways. So Moses, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, through lightning, through thunder. He spoke to Daniel and Joseph through dreams. He spoke to Israel. He led Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He spoke to Jacob through an angel. He spoke to Samuel through a voice. Um, he, uh, on Sinai, Mount Sinai, he, he had a voice like a trumpet. He even spoke to Balaam through a donkey. Uh, which means there's hope for someone like me. So he says here, God spoke in many times and in many ways through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Just quickly, the phrase there, these last days, uh, let me just explain that. Because no doubt with this uh, COVID virus, you've seen plenty of articles and social media saying these are the last days. And um, a lot of them are a bit, uh, a bit trashy. Um, are these the last days? Well, yes and no. 
So generally speaking, when the New Testament, not generally, mostly, almost all the time, when the New Testament talks about the last days, it's talking about the Messianic age, the first and second coming of Christ. And uh, so it does refer to the return of Christ being the last days. But as in this verse, these last days have been here from the resurrection of Christ to the return of Christ. So save yourself from some money. Don't go and buy that uh, book at CNA or Kum Books that says COVID-19 are the last days. Well, it could be the last days. The Lord could come today, this evening, tomorrow. But he could come in 2,000 years' time. We are living in the last days. And actually, we've lived in the last days for the last 2,000 years. So notice here, he's speaking about special revelation. God has spoken to us in general revelation, which we saw, but he's spoken to us in particular through the prophets, through the Old Testament. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, his son being the ultimate final revelation. Now, that is most, one of the most extraordinary statements in the Bible, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So let me make a couple of comments. The first is, it tells us that God is not silent, that God is a speaking God. So that's one of the, one of the basic truths of the Christian faith. We've often talked about this, that the God of the Bible is a speaking God. He's not only a creator God, he's not only a sovereign God, he's not only the awesome great God of all the universe, but he is a God who speaks. He's not hiding, he's not silent. You see, someone who says to me, I believe in a creator God, or I believe in a grand architect, or the big man upstairs, but I don't believe that he's personal or relational. Well, my dear friends, that option isn't open to you. If there is a creator God who created us, and if we, the creatures, are personal and relational, and we can speak and write and talk, well, then surely the creator can speak and write and talk. So you really only have two options. There's no middle ground. Either there's no God, and that's a frightening option, or there's a God who speaks, who talks, who relates. And we can know him and relate to him. The second thing we notice here, as I've just said, is that he's not just a speaking God, he's a God who relates to us. So notice there, verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. It is personal. It is relational. So when we talk about Christianity, we're not talking about moral standards or moral values or a Christian worldview. Those are all important things. We're not talking about philosophy. No, we're talking about a person. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God. And he's personal with us. Even though he's the creator, sovereign God of all the universe, he has humbled himself and, uh, and became flesh and dwelt among us to rescue us and redeem us. So that's what it's telling us here. God has not left us to ourselves. No, he sent his son to redeem us and rescue us. So that's one of the great joys of the Christian life, that we can know God that we can be right with God. 
that we can speak to God, that we can hear from God, that he leads us, that he guides us, that he convicts us, that he comforts us, that he speaks to us through his word. Isn't that one of the great joys of the Christian, the Christian faith? We have a relationship with God. What an extraordinary privilege that we not only God's children, but we can know that we are God's children. We can have assurance that I'm a child of God and he's my father. Just the third thing here, just quickly, in verse 2, it means that we no longer, because God has now spoken to us in these last days through his son, we no longer need the visions and prophecies and dreams and voices of the Old Testament. Because we now have Christ. And Christ is better. And Christ is sufficient. If he is the final, ultimate revelation of God, which he is, then all these other ways are no longer necessary. So important that we understand that. There's so many uh, Christians and churches and pastors out there who claim to claim to speak for God, the man of God who represents God and gives all kinds of prophecies and dreams and all kinds of weird and wonderful things. My dear friends, we don't need that. No, we have Christ and Christ has given us his word. So... Some of you can remember when your, uh, when your 18-month-old son uh, had a birthday, you gave him a, uh, one of the gifts was a, was, a, was a soccer ball, but it was made of wool. Remember that? Or some soft fabric, and he used to kick that round the lounge. And then when he, when he turned three, you remember that, that you bought him a plastic soccer ball from, from Spa, from Pick and Pay. And then when he was six years old, you bought him an imitation Bafana Bafana soccer ball. And then when he was 12 or 13, when he became a teenager, you bought him, for his birthday, a genuine official FIFA soccer ball. Cost a fortune. Well, of course, once he got the, once he got the official FIFA soccer ball, what did he do with the wool soccer ball? Well, he left it in the cupboard. What did he do with the plastic ball? He left it in the cupboard. You don't need those things when you have the official FIFA soccer ball. So the author of Hebrews says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now he has spoken to us by his son. That's why when we gather week by week, be at church at home, be at church at Christ Church Midrand, the corner of 9th and 11th Road, when we meet, I don't say to you guys, I want to tell you about my dreams this week. My dear friends, my dreams are rubbish, uh, especially over the last four or five weeks. They really are rubbish. You don't need to hear my dreams. I don't ask who's, gonna, who's, who's got a vision, who's got a, who's got a dream. Uh, no, if we want to hear the voice of God, what do we do? Turn to Hebrews 1, turn to Matthew 10, turn to 1 Corinthians 11. If we want to hear the voice of God, we no longer need these other forms of communication. No, we have the Son, the Son of God, the final, the ultimate. All right, our time is marching along. Two last points. Uh, 
First of all, Christ the final revelation. Secondly, Christ the final representation. So we pick that up in verse 2 to 4. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he tells us that Christ is not only the final revelation of God, he is the final ultimate representation of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And he describes Jesus in a number of wonderful phrases. Let's just look at three of them. Verse 2, he appointed him the heir of all things. Now, in, in African culture, as, as uh, most of you know, uh, the firstborn son is the legal heir of all the rights and responsibilities of the family, of the father. He is the heir. He has all the rights. He has all the responsibilities. Well, that's the idea here. Christ the son is the father's heir. Everything belongs to him on earth, in heaven, in the age to come. The second phrase here, notice, he's the creator of all things. Verse 2, the end of verse 2, through whom also he created the world. Now, it's interesting, the, the, um, the word here, because later on he talks about him sustaining, upholding the universe. The word universe in the Greek includes the idea of expansion. It's dynamic. It's, it's elastic. And so... I'm sure for hundreds of years, no one quite understood why the author used that word. And then, as, as you well know, in recent years, uh, we've, uh, we've found out that galaxies are moving and they move away from the earth. There's a flexibility. And the author of Hebrews 2,000 years ago includes that idea that Jesus created all these things, the whole universe. Every star, every galaxy, every atom, every drop of water, every speck of dust. He's the radiance, third phrase there, the radiance of God's glory. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Read through the Gospels. Read through the book of Hebrews. Read the next two chapters over the next week. And when you look at Jesus, you'll know what God is like. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the characteristics of Jesus are the characteristics of God. The attributes of Jesus are the attributes of God. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. And he is the radiance of God. So we are made in the image of God. But Jesus is a carbon copy of God. A carbon copy. Now if he is the heir of all things, if he is the creator of all things, if he is the radiance of God's glory, well, my dear friends, I think it would be a pretty smart move to listen to him. 
to obey him, to submit to him, to love him. Lastly, will you notice Jesus, the final redemption. Verse 3 again. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is not only the final word, which is why we don't need any more words. We don't need any more revelations or prophecies or dreams. No, Jesus is the final word. He's also the final work. He has done everything necessary for us to be reconciled to God. He died on the cross, and we're going to remember that this morning as we take part in the Lord's table, that he died on the cross, that he gave his life, that he shed his blood in your place, in my place, to quench the wrath of God so that we may be forgiven. And when he had done that on the cross, when he, when he had shed his blood, when he made purification for our sins, what happened? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, meaning it was finished. And that's what he said on the cross. It is finished. Nothing more needs to be done to be reconciled with God. It's not your works. It's not your religion. It's not your efforts. No, Christ has done everything. He is the final word and he's the final work. He's done all the work necessary to reconcile sinful people like you and me to God. So let me close. We're living in hard times. These are quite exceptional times. We all know that. They're tough times. And um, perspective is not found within yourself. It's not found in self-realization or self-actualization or self-fulfillment. It's actually found in self-forgetfulness. Remember what John the Baptist said. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. So as we reflect on Christ and the glory of Christ, he will grow bigger. He will increase. And hopefully we will decrease. The irony is there'll be joy. Well, let's pray together. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. You tell God where you are. Father, will you forgive us when we have doubted your goodness, when we have doubted your greatness, when we have doubted that you are enough, that you are sufficient. Forgive us, Father, when we have tried to find perspective in other things that we know won't last and won't stay the distance. Lord, help us to come to Christ and find our strength, our hope, our future in him. And as we come to the Lord's table right now, we pray that you will prepare our hearts 
that we with open arms may embrace the death of Christ in my place. Amen.